with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced. Everyone say rejoice. Believing in God with all his house. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about the groundbreaking question. The groundbreaking question that is found, in fact, right in the middle of our reading. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a groundbreaking question. Amen. We want the word of God to help us here tonight. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you would direct us. We thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your word that brings strength to us. It is the absolute truth for us. It stands apart, above, and sovereign of everything else. And it's from it that we gain truth and knowledge and understanding. And so we pray that you would instruct us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. In this passage of scripture, there is a groundbreaking question. And in each person's life, there comes a time when he or she feels the need to take some type of action or undergo some type of experience to be saved. It is a life question. There's some major life questions that people ask. Who am I? Has to do with human origin. Um, what is the problem? Has to do with when we look around us, we recognize the world is in a state of turmoil and confusion. What am I supposed to be doing? Answers purpose. Uh, all these are, these are seminal questions that individuals ask. And in this passage of scripture, Paul and Silas were put in prison because of their message. They were preaching. They were testifying about the goodness of God. They were thrown in prison. And there in prison, revival broke out. Amen. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are in your life. Revival can break out. Nobody would have thought that in the middle of prison there would have been revival, but there was revival that broke out when God moved in the prison. Amen. And so he came and asked them a question. He thought his occupation was done over, his job was lost, because you don't want prisoners fleeing out of the prison when you're supposed to be the prison keeper. And so he was going to take his life. And Paul said, do yourself no harm. And he asked the groundbreaking question. That question is of paramount importance to each and every generation. We are correct in concluding that we must do something to be saved. Amen. I'm not embarrassed to tell you tonight I need salvation. <laughs> Praise God. I can in no way possible save myself. I need something greater than myself. Amen. I need a Savior to save me. The understanding that we are lost without God, sinners, and doomed is absolutely correct because Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so I must become aware of I, my need of salvation from sin. And so these questions besiege 
each individual somewhere in life. And there is a quest or there should be a quest. There may be a life experience, a circumstance that drives an individual to recognize what I'm doing is not working. I can't do this on my own. It's not within my own willpower to do it or make it. I need something greater than myself. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to know that in the house of God there is a Savior that is great and powerful and he's here in this place and he can strengthen us and help us on our journey to understand what salvation is. Amen. So this lesson is to explore fairly and scripturally the proper expression of faith or that conversion experience that will in fact save us from our sins. When we're talking about salvation from sins, we call that justification. Later, we'll talk about the need to go on from our salvation into a holy life, and that is called sanctification. So these are terms that are thrown about, and sometimes if we're not careful, we speak them. We don't understand even what we're saying. We are sanctified. We are justified. Amen. Those are things that have to do with salvation and with holiness. Amen. A life in which we remain in our salvation is sanctified. Sanctification. So erring here is of great importance. The fact of what it takes to be saved is something of utmost importance, and, and we should make sure that we find truth, that we obey it, and that it becomes a joy to us in the present and an eternal joy that will be with us in the future. Are you thankful that God is working in your life? Amen. I don't care what point or how much. Are you just grateful that God is doing a work in your life? You may have lived for God for many years, and you may just be starting, but the fact of the matter is God is working, and when God is working, great things can happen. Amen. Hey, great things can happen. So let's look at some scriptural references on being saved. I'm going to give you 16 here, and they all have different emphasis. And the reason why I'm giving you all of them is to show you that there are different emphasis, and you cannot take just one verse and apply that and think somehow that that is salvation. Things have to be taken in context, and you have to look at all of the verses. So look at some of these verses that denote we are to do something. It is not done completely for us. God does not make us robots. He gives to us the ability to choose, and therefore we have to make a choice to serve God. We have to make a commitment to serve God. And so these verses reveal to us there are some things that we are to do. For example, in James chapter 1 and verse 21, the scripture says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The emphasis here is on the word of God. The engrafted word is able to save your souls. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 18. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved. The emphasis here is on walking uprightly. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 50. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. The emphasis here is on faith. Every single one of these verses have to do with salvation. Acts chapter 11 and verse 14. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. The emphasis here is on the spoken word. John chapter 10 and verse number 9. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Emphasis here is on entering in the door. That is entering into Jesus. He is the way, the truth, 
and the like. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 21. Even baptism doth also now save us. The emphasis here is on water baptism. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 40. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. The emphasis here is on our personal responsibility in our salvation. You have to save yourselves, the scripture says. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. The emphasis here is on believing. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 22. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. The emphasis here is on looking to God for our salvation. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The emphasis here is on calling on the name of the Lord. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. The emphasis here is on mercy. Matthew chapter 10 verse 22. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. The emphasis here is on enduring. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. For we are saved by hope. The emphasis here is on hope. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The emphasis here is on believing and being baptized in water. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The emphasis here is on confessing and believing. These are 16 verses. They all have to do with salvation. Some of them come from various places in the Bible. Some were spoken by prophets. Some were spoken by apostles. Jesus himself speaks some of those words. Solomon speaks a word, and Paul speaks a word. Who is right? All of them have to do with salvation. Do these verses contradict each other? Do we just use one verse? Do we use all 16 together or three or four verses together? Do we use those to obtain some kind of formula for salvation? Amen. You can see where there is salvation that is mentioned in every single one of these verses. We must use all 16 verses in context. We must ask ourselves with the rest of the word of God as it relates to the action on our part. We are in gross error if we fail to lead a sinner into every aspect of salvation and the conversion experience that is important. It is wrong to tell a sinner simply to believe or simply to be baptized in water without spirit baptism or merely to have hope because if you have hope, according to one of the passages you're saved or to endure because there is a passage that says if you endure you will be saved we cannot isolate individual verses on salvation we must embrace all of the scriptures regarding salvation there are other verses to consider in this discussion we must consider in relation to our soul's salvation we must carefully and rightfully divide the word of truth and we must follow 
every single one of these verses and put it all together to understand there is a big picture as it relates to salvation and every single one of these verses are important. Are you thankful for the word of God? And those, those were some powerful verses. Uh, if, if you were here and it was Bible study and you had something to write down and you wrote all 16 verses of those down there, you got a great Bible study to talk to somebody about salvation and all that it that it, it reveals to us and all that pertains to it. So context is important, and all the scriptures are important to us. And so we've got to take all of those things together, not just taking one, and then making a doctrine out of it, not taking two or three and making a doctrine out of it, but looking at the whole corpus of Scripture from the beginning to the end. Jesus' teaching, the early church teaching, and put all of that together and recognize this is a pathway that God has revealed to us. One of the first things that is very, very important and essential to salvation is we have to have faith. Amen. If there's not faith, there is no step toward being saved because faith is an absolute prerequisite in coming to God. Amen. It is, it, it, it's without faith, the scripture said, it is impossible to please him. Let's look at that scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So faith is important. In salvation, faith is absolutely important. John chapter 3 and verse 16, a prominent verse that is mentioned often. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You have to have faith in him. You have to believe in him. Amen. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17 couples the word of God that is being preached. It says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the the word of God produces faith. It's by the foolishness of preaching that we are saved because it promotes faith. Amen. Thank God for a preacher in times in my life when I was lacking faith. There was inspiration. There was power. And the word itself produced a faith within me that said, you know what? I can make it. I can endure. There is hope that maketh not a shame. Praise God. There's an uplifting because of the word of God. That's what's powerful about the word of God. Did you know the word of God is powerful in and of itself? All you have to do is read the word of God, and it produces a strength. Faith is important. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13, in whom you also trusted and in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You believed. You were sealed, you believed, you were sealed, you trusted. And then lastly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Faith is absolutely important. So you take all of those verses, 16 of them, that talk about salvation. There was nothing in those verses that mentioned faith, but faith is, is just as important as anything in any of those verses because you can't even get there if, if you don't have faith to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Amen. I came to the house of God seeking after him. If happily he might be found, though he's not far from each and every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. 
Hallelujah. Amen. If you've got being, that means you can move and breathe and lift up your voice. So let's, let's show some being here by clapping our hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God, brother. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm thankful to have some being. Nudge your neighbor and tell him, I'm thankful you're breathing. That's a good thing. Amen. Faith is in, so faith is important. Faith is important. Another element that is important is repentance. Repentance is a cardinal doctrine in the scripture. It is an action on our part in response to God's grace and because of our belief or our faith that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Amen. There's, that's powerful in those two words. He's Lord, which means he's everything, and he operates as Lord over everything in my life, both small and great. And he is Savior, he saves. And so when you have faith and believe in that and in his word, then there is a, there is a response to that. <laughs> Praise God. When the word of God goes forth and the strength of God goes forth and you realize you need a Lord, not someone that lords over you, uh, a baseball bat waiting to beat you over the head for any failure or mistake you make. This is like a medieval view of God. It's very dark and foreboding and God is up here and he is angry and he is just waiting for you to make a misstep to squash you like a bug. That's, that's medieval in its knowledge. This is not the kind of God that we serve. He is Lord in that we offer to him the ability to say, God, I want to do what is right. I want to take the right path. I want to walk the right walk. I want you to lead me and guide me. And so I'm giving my will to you because ultimately I know that your blessing and your favor upon my life is going to be greater than anything that I could produce. That means God is Lord. He's Lord over everything. And he is Savior. And when we come to that recognition and we acknowledge that, then there is a response that comes from us. Faith is there, and then repentance is there. Luke chapter 13, verse number 3. Except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. So repentance is important. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. But now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. But God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. This is Jesus speaking. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, Luke chapter 24, verse 47. And then a, a great passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we believe God and we put our faith in God, there is something that is attached to that. There's an action attached to that called repentance. It means to have a change of mind, to have a change change of heart. It means that we are sorry for our sins and that we ask God to forgive us of every sin. I don't care how many sins it is. I don't care how many, how great the sins are. When you ask for repentance, you're asking that God would wipe away completely every sin. Amen. 
God can cover every single one. He's sovereign. He's Lord. He is Lord and Savior. He can save you from every sin. And so this action that we have is repentance. We confess with our mouths that he is Lord. That means something. For that first century church, when you said Jesus is Lord, you were saying something that might get you in trouble. There might be persecution. And in fact, your very life might be at stake. Because when you said Jesus is Lord, you were saying Caesar is not. Caesar is not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. The same thing should be in our lives today. We may not be tied to a stake burned with oil thrown in the lion's den, but that day may be coming. And there's got to be a commitment on the inside of us that is big enough to say Jesus is Lord. The world is not Lord. Nobody else is Lord. There is no idol that is Lord. Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He is Lord over everything. And repentance is that movement or that action. It's a confession. We make an about face and we live according to his will, not our own will. Sometimes people struggle in an altar during repentance because there is a battle between the wills. This is one of the reasons why we need to be somewhat careful that we don't move too fast when someone is repenting because in order for the Holy Ghost to come in somebody's life and in order for them to make the ascent to baptism in Jesus' name, they've got to, they, their will has to succumb to his will. You can't be bargaining with God and saying, well, I'll give you all that, but I want to keep, I'm hanging on to this. That does, it doesn't work that way. Repentance is saying, I am, I am giving everything to you, and I want your will for my life. Amen. And that's important because sometimes people in repentance need to move through that process. And so we don't want to move too fast. We want them to feel like, you know what, I'm leaving everything here at an altar. Amen. There have been things that people have brought and they pulled out of their pocket and they put on the altar. That is a, an illustration that's physically of repentance. Not only is it internally, but some folks have brought stuff and laid on the altar that we didn't quite know what to do with. But thank God they were saying, you know what, this is my problem. This, this is the Lord over my life and I want a new Lord and so I'm willing to give up some stuff because I'm tired of this and I'm laying it down at an altar. That's repentance. Praise God. You got to open your mouth and you got to say stuff. You can't just stand there and lift your hands up and expect God to somehow bowl you over. You got to get down into the deep business with God and say, I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm immoral. I've done things that I don't want anybody else to know. I'm a murderer. I'm all kinds of stuff, but God, I'm coming to you in repentance because I want to walk away from that old lifestyle. And so I'm putting to death some of the things that have plagued me and dominated me and controlled me. Praise God. This happened in the, in the New Testament. Great revival broke out. They came and they burned all their witchcraft books. They, they created a bonfire and they burned it. It created such a huge firestorm because people made money off of that and they ran Paul out of town, but you can't run the power of God out of town. You can run an individual out of town, but you can't run God out of town. Praise God. And revival broke out because people wanted to separate themselves from all the 
dark dysfunction that they were in. Thank God that he's given to us an opportunity to repent. Repentance is not a negative thing. It is a positive thing. I can lay down every burden before him. I can lay down every sin before him. I can, I can lay down every failure before him. Oh, I feel like high-stepping. I'm thankful to God for what he richly has done at an altar of repentance. God, praise God, praise God. Sometimes it's nasty and sometimes it's ugly. There was a young man, Brother Emilio's grandson was right here praying on Sunday night and the Holy Ghost broke out. Snot was running, all kind of saliva was coming out and they were holding a trash can to get it all. But you know what happened right there? He laid some things down right there and God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You say, I want the Holy Ghost. Then get desperate. You gotta dig in. You gotta repent. You got to get there. Amen. He's a young man. How old is Nathan? Huh? 15. Praise God. 15 years of age. His life is, is off the rails. Amen. But he came to the house of God and the Holy Ghost moved and they're teaching him a Bible study and hopefully not too many days hence we're going to baptize him in Jesus name. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Was that his father that was that was here as well? So that's your son. So was, he have any church experience? All right. So so he's coming with the grandson. He's not even the one that, that really feels the burden, but the grandson does. But he comes and then he sees his son get the Holy Ghost. God, God's working. God's moving. Hallelujah. And we need to give God thanks and praise. That's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. We celebrate with you, Brother Emilio and Sister Susie Gonzalez. That's fabulous, and we're praying that God continues to do a work there. Repentance, so repentance is important. It's, it's an action. It's something that we do, and it's very scriptural. We've read all of these passages of scripture, and it identifies with Jesus' death. There are some things you have to put to death in your life. Praise God. Baptism is important. Water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ is essential part of salvation. And the scripture says that it is the means. It's the means by which the blood of Christ washes away sin. In Acts chapter 22 and verse number 16, Paul said, Ananias told him, and why now tarriest? Amen. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Just like in the Old Testament when the blood is applied to the doorpost, to the Egyptians, the Hebrews, the death angel passes by. He passes by as long as the blood has been applied to the doorpost. If there's no blood on the doorpost, then there is a death of the firstborn. The next morning, there is a weeping and wailing in Egypt because some people did not have the blood applied to the doorpost. The blood is applied in the New Testament through baptism in Jesus' name. This is why his name is so very important to be applied when you're baptized. Amen. Now, some people say, well, it's okay. We can, we can baptize in the titles, in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. Well, what is the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are titles. Those are offices. I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm a pretty good uh, uh, pastor. Thank you. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, those are all offices, 
but that's not my name. Amen. The Father's an office. The, the Son is an office. Jesus himself is the Son. And the Spirit is an office. But the name is what is important. And the reason why the name is important, it's because he's the one that went to Calvary and it's his blood that he shed. So why would you not be baptized in Jesus' name when that is the only saving name? This, this is why Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Praise God. The blood is applied to my life in baptism in his name. And we receive remission of sins through baptism in his name. Gary, your baptism was one of the highlights, will be one of the highlights in my entire ministry. Your entire family, I don't know how many were here, three rows. Amen. You got down in that tank, you went down in a watery grave in Jesus' name, and it washed away every sin. Praise God. And you came up out of that water and knew individual because of God's anointing and his power. Baptism is important to us. John chapter 3 and verse number 5 says, except the man is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So there's a birth of the spirit and there's a birth of the water. Some folks will say, well, this is referring to a physical birth and the water of birth and the waters of birth. And But that, that can't be because Nicodemus in the, the irony of the question said, how can I enter back into my mother's womb the second time and be born? Jesus was saying, it has nothing to do with that. It's a it's a an experience. It's a birth of the water. Jesus was talking about baptism. Amen. In the New Testament, we get many passages of scripture that talk about baptism. We've already mentioned Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. The name here is singular. And the name must be used in baptism, not the titles. For Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says, Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There are so many other nuggets that, that mention baptism. Luke chapter 24, 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 8, 12 through 16. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 19. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19, Paul came across some of John's disciples and he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we haven't heard anything about the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, well, under what then were you baptized? And they said, under John's baptism. And Paul rebaptized them in Jesus' name. Now, John was a pretty important individual. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, there's none greater than John. He was a prophet and he prophesied about the coming of Jesus. But when Paul came across John's disciples who had been baptized under John's baptism, which was only a baptism of repentance, people were going out to the Jordan River before Christ and John the Baptist, there hadn't been a prophetic voice for 400 years. And so now here's this wild guy out of the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people, and he's saying, you need to repent and get your heart right because there's one coming after me that's greater than I, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so John was a forerunner. He was a harbinger. He was out front. And he was declaring the one that was coming. When Jesus comes on the scene, then it becomes very, very important for a continuation of truth. And these disciples of John, all they knew about, for whatever reason, was John's baptism. They didn't know that there was one greater than John the Baptist. And there was a greater baptism than John's baptism. And that was a baptism in Jesus' name. And so Paul rebaptized them in Jesus' name. Now, I ask you this question because I think it's important. Why would he do that if it wasn't important? 
burden. It's because Paul recognized everything is wrapped up in Jesus. And so whatever you've been baptized in, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name because that is the ultimate. He's the sovereign God. He's the one that went to Calvary. He's the one that shed his blood. And he's the one that came up out of a grave. He's alive. There is power in his name. And so this is established in the early church. And so he rebaptizes them. Baptism is important. Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, 19, all talk about baptism in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 3, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Well, we can't say just because Peter said that baptism is all that there is needed and there's not a need for repentance because we just read where repentance is important. And we can't say that you can just be baptized without faith. Sometimes people come and they say, I want to be baptized. Be very, very careful there because what experience have you had in order to get to that statement of I want to be baptized? Because some people want to be baptized out of tradition. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't baptize people out of tradition. Some churches do, and that's their tradition. But we're not baptizing people out of tradition. Because if you just get up here and you're baptized just because of tradition, you don't understand everything that we're talking about here. It takes faith to understand what God is doing in your life. It takes repentance to make a change in your life so that you are ready to be baptized. If you don't repent and you want to be baptized, then you're still living the same way that you were living before you got in the tank. This cannot be. This, this, would, be a, this would be a mistake on the part of us baptizing people. There are some things you got to get right before you get in the baptismal waters. Praise God, because it's sin that you're trying to remit. And if you're in sin, how can you get there and ask God to baptize you and remit a sin that you haven't action, put any action towards saying, I'm not doing that anymore. This is why sometimes relationships have to have, you got to figure those things out. There's all kinds of stuff that God works in individuals' life, but those things have to be established before you move to a baptism. It's not a tradition. We don't believe it's a tradition. We believe it's part of salvation. It's an integral part of salvation. It's part of a new birth experience. A person needs to be born of water and of the spirit. Amen. So there's all kinds of nuggets as it pertains to baptism. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is important. The Holy Ghost is the comforter who Jesus sends back into the hearts and souls of those who believe in him. And... The church is established in that by which he purchased with his own blood. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28 reveals that to us. John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus, said, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Jesus talked about in many verses about the coming spirit or Holy Ghost or spirit of truth or comforter or the paraclete that was going to come, but it could not come until the first paraclete had ascended. He was talking about himself. I must ascend before I can send my spirit. And so he ascends and he sends them to Jerusalem and he sends them into an upper room and then he sends his spirit to them to infill them. Amen. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4. So experiencing the Holy Ghost is one of life's most exciting events. Amen. It is a great gift. Anybody thankful for the Holy Ghost here tonight? Praise God. It is a glorious experience. It's an empowering experience. Praise God. 
And there's many verses that give us insight here. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. John chapter 3. Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, 19. And Romans chapter 8 talk about the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. So in conclusion here tonight, as the musicians come, just piano would be fine. That would be great. Amen. Being saved from sin and making ourselves ready for heaven is one of life's most important pursuits. Praise God. I want to make sure my heart is right. My spirit is right. I want to be involved in the kingdom of God. Salvation is more valuable than wealth, fame, or even life itself. Praise God. God's word is the only source that tells us how to receive salvation. And so he has chosen to place nuggets of truth here and there in his word for us to seek out. And we've looked at some of them here tonight. Amen. You can't take just one verse. You've got to look at the entire uh, package, an entire um, example in scripture. For example, here's a great illustration. In our text, the the prison keeper came and asked the groundbreaking question, what do I do? What must I do to be saved? Paul said to him, he said, if you believe thou shalt be saved. And then he took him and baptized him. So it wasn't just belief alone. He baptized him as well. Paul didn't say, well, first of all, you got to repent. He didn't go through all of that, but that doesn't mean repentance is not significant. See, you can't, take, you can't take one verse that says, this is salvation. There's another verse over here that also tells you what salvation is all about. Praise God. And it all comes together and locks together in a new birth experience that is preached on the day of Pentecost. And it's preached all throughout the book of Acts. Amen. Praise God. Dare we accept fragments of truth on such a vital matter as salvation? Can we dwell on faith and ignore baptism? Shall we demand baptism and skip repentance? Can we be saved by accepting one part of the plan while rejecting the rest of the Bible? No, we search out the truth in its entirety so we can rest in our salvation. Praise God. The Queen of Sheba traveled from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She wanted to see Solomon's kingdom. But in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 31, it's revealed that there is one that is greater than Solomon, and his name is Jesus. How much have we sought after him and his plan of salvation? This woman had everything that she needed, and she made the trek to see what is this, what's the grandeur of Solomon's kingdom? But we have the opportunity of seeking out one that is greater than Solomon. How much have we pursued the greatness of who Jesus is and the salvation that he brings and supplies to us? Amen. We should never, ever forget in that pursuit of salvation as we stand together in the house of God tonight. Amen. Praise God. We should never forget this. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. Neither... Praise God. Is there salvation in any other? For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby. Amen. Jesus wants to save you. Praise God. Salvation is a real thing. He gave his very life and his life's blood so that we could be saved. The groundbreaking question. Amen. I'm thankful for the word of God that helps me answer that question. 
Praise God. I'm thankful for repentance. I'm thankful for faith. I'm thankful for baptism. I'm thankful for the anointing of his spirit. Amen. And in conclusion tonight, I think we need to lift our hands and thank him for a salvation. So great a salvation. God, praise 